Hello, I'm Alan Higgins. Today's episode is a cross-pod between Design Talk and CETO Conversations, a research community pod hosted by University College Dublin's Centre for Innovation, Technology and Organisation. Welcome to the CETO pod. This From the Archives episode is the second part of the keynote from Triangular Conference 2008. The keynote was styled as a conversation in two parts between Professor Dermot Moran from University College Dublin School of Philosophy and Professor Lucas Introna from Lancaster University. In part two, Lucas argues that phenomenology offers deep insights into fundamental aspects of the human experience of technology and information systems, with implications for the sociology of management and organisation. So uh, my task is now to boil it down to something very concrete. So uh, I'm going to say a few words about why I am a phenomenologist. Uh, and, and to talk a bit about how I've used it and my work with regard to it. Um, this notion of describing the lived experience, or, yeah, the description of the lived experience, when I first read Rousseau, I wasn't very comfortable with because uh, at that time I read Rousseau a bit from a subjectivistic sort of perspective. And this idea of everything is consciousness and stuff like this. So I'm very comfortable with that. Uh, and then I read Heidegger, and actually I, I found a very useful way of, of capturing this idea that we experience the world as something, which I call the as structure. Okay. You know, if we want to try and understand how to use phenomenology as a way to help us account for, for experiences. The as structure is a very useful way. So the question then becomes, uh, why is it that we experience that object as a bottle? Because we don't, clearly we don't approach us, as uh, Dermot has uh, described very eloquently, we don't, dis- we don't approach that as a plastic thing. We don't approach it, approach it approach it as a service. We approach it as a bottle, or as a weapon, or as a weight. So the question then becomes, why is it that we approach it as X? Uh, and, And the answer to that is the Right, and coming back to why I'm a phenomenologist, one of the problems with, as you know, the, the information systems field has been this sort of this sort of divide between the positivist type of traditions and the, and the subjectivistic type traditions, interpretive traditions. So the so the what the what the positivist traditions do is they reduce the as question simply what is physically present. So why do we approach it as a bottle? Because it is something that has the potential to hold water and and so forth. So the the question for them, the solving or the the answer to the as question, is to investigate the physical properties. 
or you know, to either way in the way that positive research does, it sort of constructs quantitative measures to make present, to make to make uh, accessible the object or the phenomenon through the measurements. Right. So the presence, the present, the being present of the object through the measurements. But what phenomenology wants is to say that the bottle appears as a bottle, not simply because of what is present, but what is presumed, assumed, as uh, Bernard described, the necessary conditions, right? the necessary conditions for it even to appear as a bottle. The necessary conditions for it to appear as a bottle is not just its physical properties, but it is social practices. It's the idea of drinking from containers called bottles. So if I don't understand social practices of drinking, then I wouldn't approach that object as a bottle. Right. So, so the necessary conditions that makes it appear as a bottle is as important as the physical attributes. So I can put it in another language, which maybe some people will understand, sort of at the network matter. Clearly, this bottle has certain affordances. Right? It allows for containing of water. It allows for uh, being uh, stable. To, so it has a surface that allows it for it to stand upright and so forth. So there are certain affordances. But those affordances is just one part of the picture, what it allows for. So it allows us to see it as a range of things. We can see it as a container for drinking, as a weight to keep down paper, as an object to hit somebody for. So it allows for certain things. But what makes it what makes it such that I approach it as a bottle to drink from? Now that account has to do with am I thirsty? What are the practices? What would be appropriate? It wouldn't be appropriate, generally, for me to take it as a weapon. More often, and normally, I would take it as a container of container water. So I have to give an account of, uh, in active network language, not just the, the physical properties, but I need to give account of the social practices. In Heidegger's terms, I would say, you need to give, give account of the referential whole. All the things that refers to and is required to refer to in order for us to take it as a bottle for drinking. Now, in a different way, we could say, why do I ask the question, is it a bottle? Or is it a weapon? Or is it... So the uh, uh, phenomenological question today would be, why do we ask questions about bottles? Why do we pose the bottle as a problem? And then I would have to say, so why do I structure it as a problem of a bottle? What are the necessary conditions for me to raise the question? Why is it a problem? So, so we could ask the phenomenological question both in terms of how do we approach the object, but also why we as researchers ask even the question, is it a bottle or not a bottle? Why did that question come up as a relevant question? Right. 
Uh, and then we have to give an account of the referential whole, the necessary conditions. And those necessary conditions are both social, physical, practical, you know, in all of these layers, levels, as, uh, as Dermot said so well. You know, we have all these levels of description. And the referential whole, that is the answer to this question, why does it emerge as a bottle, has all of these layers, and we have to give all of them. And if we reduce to any of them, if we reduce it simply to the subjective intentions of the subject, we are, uh, we are doing what the soul wants to warn us against, psychologicalism. Reduce things to people, what is in people's heads, and their psyche. Or if we reduce it simply to the material features of this, we are, we are, we are doing a reduction of, of naturalism. So what is present as physical features, is, it's all that's relevant. So neither we want to reduce it to the subject, what is in the mind and consciousness of the subject, nor we want to reduce it to the physical attributes, features of the object. What we're saying is, when we approach something, as in the ongoing experience of everyday life, we approach it as something. Right? We don't, I mean, I don't approach this thing there as material properties, surfaces, uh, and then work out what may these properties add up to. Right? I don't do that. I approach it as a body, or as a weapon, of course. As, the question is as, what is it that I'm approaching it as? Right? I'm not saying it's always an bottle, and it's always a weapon, or it's always a paper weapon. Its physical properties allows for a range of ways in which it might be revealed to me. Right. So the affordances are not fixed. But why do I approach this bottle? Because I'm thirsty. Right. But, but drinking from it is a practice that we are familiar with. So we understand drinking from bottles as a practice. So that practice and understanding of the practice is part of an account of why I approach it as a bottle. So, so, one, if I could summarize uh, Dermot's presentation and the way I've used it, is using the as question as a means right, to fuse together and hold together the subject of the object, the material, the social, the psychological, and saying that when we experience the world, we experience it as something. So then the question becomes, why do the user experience the system as a way to do something, as this? Why are the managers seeing this project as a project for modernization, as a project to make more? Why are they seeing it this way? Right. Why are they seeing it as this? And if I can give an account of that, why are they seeing it as, right, then I'm starting to describe it in a phenomenological sense. What it's really saying is that, from in my mind, the horizon of significance that Dermot uh, referred to, uh, what phenomenology wants to do is to keep simultaneously what is present in the experience, the bottle and the practices, but also what is absent, namely that which makes it possible or requires for me to encounter it as an object, such as a bottle. And it's this play between what is present, 
and what is absent, but is necessary in order for the present to be experienced as what? What he described as the necessary conditions. What are the necessary conditions? And in my mind, uh, Latour is a phenomenologist because what Latour says is we need to keep it at the level of description, which is a phenomenological uh, imperative. But he's also saying whatever is experienced as a particular actor is only experienced as a particular actor because there are certain necessary conditions, a network, a work that met, a, a network, right? an ongoing working that is necessary. A set of practices, a set of systems, a set of connections, a set of relationships that are necessary to maintain that actor as a bottle of drink. What is it that makes that bottle retain itself, stabilize itself as a bottle for drinking? If I can describe that network, I have to describe practices, objects, intentions, I have to describe a whole lot of things. And if I can do that, I'm faithful to the actor, which is what he wants us to do. So I, I see phenomenology as a very powerful tool, mechanism, to keep us from reducing simply reducing something to either its physical uh, properties or to certain psychological conditions. Or even in uh, IS literature, we've had this debate about relevance and rigor. Okay, so so the, 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 the idea of theory and practice. So something has to be relevant, embedded in practice, or rigorous, embedded in theory. That sort of distinction, the split, seems to me to emerge because we either we are reducing either something to simply the practices, or we are reducing something to the ideas about the practices. And we don't have to do that. Because right? the question is not, is a theory a practice? The question is, what do people experience it as? What's the account for that? How do we account for that? And so if managers say, uh, efficiency is important. If managers say technology is a, a vehicle for transformation of organizations, the question is why? Why do they see technology as a vehicle for transformation? And if I can start to give an account of that, what I will give an account of will be very relevant because it will relate to what they are doing. Uh, just a simple example paper that I wrote with my colleague. Uh, Fernando. What we did is we looked at the screen. Right? The screen is a very commonly experienced object. And we asked ourselves, why is it that we approach this surface here as a screen? Right. Why don't we approach it simply as a surface? Uh, and we try to tease out what are the necessary conditions for an object to appear as a screen. And through that process, we've discovered some of the features that are important in terms of what we call the screening of the screen. That makes it maintain itself as a screen. And that was very helpful in terms of thinking through the way in which screens function in organizations. So I think that phenomenology is a very powerful tool that helps us to break some of these old nuts, theory practice, subject object, uh, 
because it, it, stick, it stays to the question of description. But description within this play between what is present and what is absent. The experience as. Uh, which is, I mean, sometimes even in thinking about my students' work, when they say, I'm going to do a study of uh, the way in which information technology, uh, handheld technology is used in sales, uh, then I, I often ask them, why is it that this question appears relevant to you? That you would want to study handheld technology in the sales practice. So why did this appear as a problem or as something to be studied? And when we start to unpack that the necessary conditions for why this appears as a problem, we start to understand the phenomenological import of what he or she is trying to do. So the as structure is what I want to leave you as a, a tool or, or as a mechanism to use phenomenology both as a methodology but also as a way to understand objects and subjects and their relationship. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, thank you. I would like to... Just... Yes, yes, yes. Let's open up a, a bit of a discussion. Uh, questions, uh, clarification, or challenges? Relevant. Yes. This idea of the notion of the important for example, this is a question, and I suppose that according to the context, the context of the context of probably the ways in which, for example, IS as a material, an object is seen by different social groups, might be different. And so from, uh, but at the same time, the IS group tends to, to move into kind of uncover certain inner properties of IS or their substance. Uh, for example, the idea to both the idea of domain, not domain, or, uh, or internet. Uh, so I was wondering how the notion of uh, uh, the importance of materiality in IS and phenomenology uh, can be brought together and how one can form the other. Yes. Um, yes, of course, one of the, so one of the criticisms of, of phenomenology has been, so on the one hand they say, well, it's just description. It's just description. Uh, now, there's a certain school in phenomenology which highlighted, which also says, well, of course, if we do the analysis of the as structure, we start to understand the conditions that are necessary for something to take, be taken as a screen or, or a circle. And through that, we start to understand what screens mean, uh, what screens are in some way. Uh, and that gives us an understanding of screens irrespective of its individual instantiations. So whether a screen is something that's projected, whether a screen is an electronic LCD device, whether a screen is, is a, you know, something like this, doesn't really matter. So it's, it's material instantiations doesn't really matter if we understand what screens are in the way that they are constituted through these, these referential practices. Then as long as, these ref as long as people take something as a screen, we understand what is implicated in that taking something as a screen. And therefore, we understand something more than simply all the material or varied 
instantiations of it. And in that sense, uh, some people have, uh, as they not said, so, uh, there is a, a certain understanding of phenomenology as being essentialist, in as much as it tries to understand what is described as the essences, right? Uh, and so, from that, people could say, well, the essence of information technology is to informate, or the essence of technology is to communicate, or to coordinate, or to etc. etc. Now, I'm a bit, I'm not one of those that want to go too far. Because, of course, it's a necessary condition for something to mean something uh, in, a, in a fairly consistent way. Otherwise, if I say screen, you have no idea. You'll have to say, do you mean this screen, that screen, that screen? What, what, are, you, what are you referring to? Clearly, so we do have notions of things that are sufficiently stable that if we talk about things. Now, the problem is, when we talk about things in that way, screen, that's a screen, that's a screen, we, we, what we foreground is the object. But what we, don't, uh, in, what we don't bring into account necessarily is the conditions that are necessary for us to take it as a screen. So one of the problems is, in a sensualist sort of way, is the, the necessary conditions and practices that constitute something as a screen is in a sense forgotten, in a sense not 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 recalled, and so we then are we are then seduced into the idea that that something has an essential property in itself, that there's something in the screen, in the object, that it's 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 its screen, right? So so it's that shift from what I would call a um, a referential notion of essence, which is that something does have a stable understanding or a stable interpretation because it's embedded in a sense of practices which gives it that meaning, versus something that the object has as such. Okay. It has, you know, a screen always is this. Okay. And, and it's that shift. And that's where it's become dangerous, when you start to forget. So if you say about informating, informating as something, as an experience, has as necessary conditions a whole sort of sets of things. I mean, it has a certain cognitive ability we imply, it has a certain uh, conduct or uh, comportment towards uh, numbers and uh, graphs and so forth. It assumes so many things. But when people say information technology informates, it somehow gives information technology the essential feature that it informates without and forgetting that that informating or experiencing that as informating has as a condition a whole set of practices. You see what I mean? It's that shift that's dangerous. Uh, and, and of course that's the problem with theory. So when we theorize, we take the, the, the understanding, the meanings of things as we've encountered them, conveniently forget the necessary conditions for those encounters to be that which they are. And then take a concept or idea and give it status outside of that, that set of practices that gave it its meaning. Is, is that... Yeah, I, yeah I, I fully agree with what you're saying. I, I just try to figure out what you're saying. Are you saying that there's a certain view 
with that text that is, let's say, information passing system or whatever are just there. I mean, they're a bit like physics, you know, that the light waves or there, there are energy waves in this room right now, and they're just there and we know how to put it up. Uh, there's a certain sense in which I know of a lot of people working in uh, uh, information processing of all kinds. They just want to think of it as, as exchanging, receiving, or passing information in some sort of systematic way, governed by laws, but where the subject doesn't intervene. Right? I mean, this is a that view. Uh, I was just thinking, because you mentioned screens, I was thinking, you know, think of practice like going to movies. Right? Well, when we go to the movies, you know, we get involved in the film, we watch it, and so on. It's a practice. But you can imagine a movie skeptic, you know, someone who doesn't believe in movies. And they sit there and they say, you're just watching lights on a flat screen. Right? And those faces are not speaking. The sound is coming from speakers behind you. And anyway, they're not three-dimensional, they're only two-dimensional. And, you know, the head is 20 feet tall, and humans have their own. You know, you can imagine someone systematically disrupting your attempt to watch the movie by pointing out that you were fooling yourself the whole time. Um, well, you know, there's a, because we have, a, we, in that case, we consciously, voluntarily enter into movie attitude. You know, we get into the story, we're involved, we're feeling the emotion. We, 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 you know, they talk about it as a suspension of disbelief, right? But it is, we, we, we bracket out that side, the physical side, and we just get into the movie. Now, you know, someone who is studying film might want to study it the other way and say, oh, they're using a particular filter on the lens, and this opening shot is a long tracking shot that lasts for three hours. You know, you see movie people tiling the length of a single holding of shot, and so on. Now, that's another way of parsing, if you like, uh, the structure of the experience. But there is such a thing as experiencing the movie. And that's, and that's the aim of the law. It's not just putting, it's not just running information exchanges in a system that there are no humans there who are giving it meaning. If you take the humans out of it, you can have light reflecting off it. You won't have a movement. And I think that's what's missing in a lot of the discussions that take place sometimes, is if knowledge somehow moves around by itself. But, but even in that example, I would say the the question is the as. So when I'm sitting in the movie, I'm looking at as a movie. Whereas if somebody's making a movie, he's looking at as a movie to be made, which is a different comportment, it's a different attitude, right? Whereas the guy studying this, the, the wavelengths is looking at not as a movie, he's looking at as a scientific problem of wavelengths. And when you're looking at as scientific problems, of, now it's a good, good question, why do, you know, why do scientists look at the world as physical properties? Why does it emerge that the world is a problem of physical properties? So that's a different question. But it's always a comportment as, right? It's an as physical properties, it's as a director making a movie, it's as somebody enjoying a movie, right? Even the critic looks at a movie differently. Right? So when you go and you're a critic and you look at the movie, you're not looking at a movie as a thing to be enjoyed, you look at it as an object to be criticized. And as an object to be criticized, it's something different. It's not a movie in the way that it's for the, for the person watching it as a movie. And so then the question becomes, what is necessary for a critic 
to look at as something to be criticized. So there's a tradition of criticism, there's, you know, all sorts of things that's necessary for him or her to look at as something to be criticized. And that's an interesting study, right? So it's a different, different attitude, what you call an attitude, I like, or, you know, it's a different attitude. It's a different way of encountering that object, right? And, and every encounter of that object as something has as its necessary condition whole sets of practices, traditions, understandings, meanings, you know, physical uh, artifacts, etc. And so, so, so that's the question for me. Is so when you say what is a movie, I want to say what are you experiencing in others? If you're a director, the movie is something different. If you're a viewer, it's something different. So th this is the question, really. What is it as that you're experiencing? And, and that's what, I mean, this is what makes it an interesting question for, if you talk to technologists about IT, they're experiencing it as something to be designed. Their encounter with technology is something different to the user, which experiences it as something to help them in their work or to hinder their work. <laughs> so this is an interesting question to ask. Them. So what is it? I mean, you wouldn't say, what is it that you're experiencing it as? Something well, I think there's also this thing, I mean, why do we assume, that not, it's not just that the physical as, the physicalist way of looking at it, or the scientist as, is one among many, it's also has privileged things. Ah, yes. That's the real problem. Yeah. Uh, that is the real one, the other one is just very, very dark. Unless you're a movie mogul in California when the film is the real. Um, you know, or it's moving for its money making capacity, it's seeing it as a money making capacity or as a vehicle of entertainment or whatever. But uh, what, what is, there has been, and one of the things that phenomenologists like Husserl and Heidegger and White True have been pointing out is that we sort of see that the ground is the same what's real to the scientists. And then we're always trying to get back. So I just put this little quote from Heidegger there from a really influential book of his called The Age of World Fiction. They talk about world, which is in, in phenomenology doesn't just mean the physical world, does not mean the cosmos or nature, but history too. Even that doesn't exhaust. I mean, all the, the as structures we've been talking about don't exhaust. But the bigger puzzle is not just that they're all, there's an infinite number of ways of looking at things. Somehow they're all integrated, and that we experience it as a single world with these different perspectives. And that's what he talks there. This includes the world ground, or whatever it is that makes it that these all things belong to the same world. So, we're in a world which there's a physicalist account, economic account, aesthetic account, historical account. They're all these, just their background. And this is all, this is a battle in the universities. Trying to say, oh, our discipline really matters. It does describe certain practices in a significant way, in a way from which we can learn. But, you know, uh, that's always happening. Uh, speaking of the context of CD-ROM, on your first slide, you talk about avoiding theory construction and how you talk about the science of experience. And in some sense, maybe not seeking too much ground as well. Because I mean, what comes here to this is that the practice of, of, of describing zero are, are, are very similar. That's very difficult to, to draw from and so there's a kind of re-evaluation of how we need to find the practice of the 
probably what, what constitutes yeah. good theory. Because um, you know, see, you know, two guys are right. There's a divestment theory, and, and, and it puts a different kind of theory to, I assume, the kind of theory you're referring to in the first line, call predictive. So then the question becomes, what should we be looking for in good theory? And, 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 um, and how, and, and the overlaps are, and why something we separate acts and describe it in practice? But it's great. Uh, Thank you, Barry. Yeah, okay. um, first of all, I agree with this idea that there is a, a, a practice of theorizing, that, that theorizing is itself practice, so this is a puzzle. Uh, and, uh, and there are good bad ways of doing it. It is also a culturally informed way. I mean, the practices that evolve and become professional. Uh, so there's certain theoretical ways of viewing things uh, and certain states of the zone. White coats. Putting on white coat. Like any other white coat gave this lecture, it puts on this coat. And the, there is also a theory of kind of, well, there's a, as you say, well, there's a theory of practice. So the two are intertwined. So, uh, we have to acknowledge that that uh, theory influences practice. Not so much, uh, perhaps in ways different than we think, and maybe that's one of the things we have to think about, is how is it that uh, theory has inserted itself into our practice? How is it that somebody will say, I'll give this example not too long ago, uh, in a psychology class, the people will say, oh, um, my blood sugars are lower, They also have feeling tired. I mean, we replaced the one experience with what we take to be a scientific description of it. Uh, but the scientific description is only relevant if we're feeling tired. Uh, so, so, which theory to introduce? There's a notion of, if you like, explanatory relevance. You know, and, and that's, that's, that's what drivers actually what they're trying to say. Look, you know, uh, you've got to look at the practice. See what's explanatory relevant. Uh, if you were building a machine to return serves at 120 miles an hour in a tennis game, you would need to look at things like uh, velocity and that and so on. But if you're training human beings, you don't do that. So you don't bring or you know you don't teach someone how to break things. Right? 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 You don't start with the laws of uh, thermal dynamics or something like that. You you, you start by so uh, the relevance of the theory to the practice and the manner in which uh, there's a certain uh, meaning. This is what Husserl calls back to the things themselves, back to the much misunderstood term, back to the matters themselves. It's what's going on. That's what's relevant. And, and that's a term of what resource we bring to bear. And people seem to miss that. It's like, you know, we like walking into an argument, walking into a room with two people arguing and missing that fact. And sort of say, you know, say something totally irrelevant. Now, you know, you can walk in, pick up, oh, there's, you know, the atmosphere here is all wrong, and, you know, observe it. Well, which one you bring to bear is dependent on your ability to observe the situation, to read the situation. And, and that, I think, is what, uh, 
I know this is not fitness, but this is what the nominology disorder is. That is what intuition and what is understood. Is you know, we, you know, having the sense to bring the right perspective to bear. But there's no, there's no, uh, what you call it, you know, there's no formula to bear. The sense of theory here is, is, is different than you know, the theory of the sense of theory is describing the practice or uh, commenting on the practice. Which makes aspects of the practice, um, or, or presents the practice in a different way to those who are, who are developing. So, what we get in good novels, yeah, you know, in terms of any insight into, yes, why I might do something, or why I do certain things in certain circumstances. And maybe that understanding is there, we should be seated to easily. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I think that's where I, mean, I think a good novel is a and this is something again in phenomenology. It's not just that. I think they acknowledge that you can get insight, essential insight into the situation from a single example. You don't have to read a hundred novels to get the idea. You only need to read one. So it's different from, say, just serving. And often, uh, you know, <coughs> I love the uh, tabloid book, we have this, uh, you know, the University of Hawaii, you know, they're always quoting things that students or studies have come up with that are completely obvious. You know, people don't like any that. Yeah. And, and maybe the point is, is that I before we use the word description, that maybe it's the orientation of the research. It's not so much a descriptor, but more of a detector. Maybe it's a detector. And maybe that's that's it. We write a certain description that is straightforward, and reading is more detectable. It is detectable. It struck me not too long ago that that's Someone saying, you know, or taking your own game, you have to figure out what that person do, or did, you know, just sort of put their hands on their shoes or the kind of glasses they were. That's detective work, but it's just, it is paying close attention to what's going on in the situation and knowing and looking for and knowing what's relevant <coughs> to your to your search if you like. And and that's what detective work is. But see it's highly intuitive. And that's and that's one of the things that is worrying from the point of view of people who want there to be a algorithm, you know, uh, some kind of a, a rule that you can impose. Uh, you could have a set of instructions, you know what I mean? And that is what Drake is said. He was, in his work with the team with the Air Force, they had the idea that to train anyone, they had to learn the set of instructions and then apply the instructions. And, and that really didn't get to where people wanted to be. Because you've got to look at it from the other side, what you were talking about, from practices. People are, you know, are think of what people do in their ordinary lives, how they, uh, you know, how they pick out who they're going to marry or love or whatever. Uh, there isn't, you know, I know there are mechanisms for doing that on the internet or whatever, but they're not. They're, they're not. They're, it's highly intuitive. And yet, that they cover the most essential features of our life. So why do we drop them in, in, in management? Why do we suddenly think it's all about uh, ticking boxes and, and, and doing all kinds of empirical studies of the meaning of it? 
because even even those I mean Prentice's point was even those rules assume a certain lived experience to make sense of the rules. So there, there's a certain understanding of of the world and a set of practices that are relevant to the world, which makes sense of that. I mean, the easy example is when you when you when you uh, have read a recipe. When you read a recipe, it assumes a certain understanding of measure and understanding of of containers, of mixing, of you know, there's a whole set of things there that are are, are not said, that's unstated, uh, and 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 you know. In an interesting way, that's that's what you know. What I think, why the problem with the argument, it's only description, is that somehow description is always on the same level, and it's not the case. Uh, when I describe the necessary conditions for me to encounter that bottle as a bottle, in accounting for that, I get an understanding of why people tend to pick this thing up and drink from it. Which, which is not a theory, in as not a theory of drinking, but it is an account that explicates, in a, in a very detailed and, 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 and I think in a very strong way, why certain things happen the way they happen. I can give an account of why people walk into the room, turn this cap, and start drinking from it. I can give it that because I, I can give an account of practices of drinking, bottles, containers, and how containers function in society. I've given uh, an account of, of the properties of bottles and to be able to hold water and, and so forth. And through this, I've, I've got a very rich understanding of why people walk into a room. I mean, I, I, when I teach the students, I always ask them, uh, when we start with the phenomenology, I ask them, why do they walk into the room and sit down? And I walk into the room and I stand in front. There's nothing in the room as such that says we have to do that. There's nothing that defines in the room or anything that we can detect when we look at the setup that's going to define that it's be like that. But they walk in, they sit down, I walk in, I come to the front, I switch on the projector and so forth. Why? Well, partly because there is these things are organized in such a way that there are desks that look to the front, there are seats, there are many seats there, and there's just one seat here, and so forth. So part of it is that, but also there's this, I, I'm the teacher, they are the students. So there's an understanding of what it means to be a student. What are the practices that are relevant to being a student? What are practices that are relevant to being the teacher? And one of it is that they tend to sit down and I tend to stand up, and so forth. And by starting to understand and give an account of that, uh, also the way in which the room is organized, we can start to get an understanding of why it is that they tend to listen, I tend to speak, you know, and all of these things. We can give an account of those things in very interesting ways. And once we've done that, we can start to understand, uh, because the room is designed in this way, why is it designed in this way? It assumes a certain model of teaching, right? It's not Socratic, right? Because... There's no chair here for me to sit down. We're not facing each other. All of you are facing me. Right? So there's a certain understanding of what it is that teaching is that is implicated in the design of the room. So once we understand, we give an account of this, we can start to think, well, maybe if we design the room differently, we can teach differently. Right? 
Now that question of if we design a room and we teach differently wouldn't have come up if we hadn't thought about what it is that made me stand here, you sit down, what it is that the room is designed in the way that it is designed. So without having a theory of but pedagogy is theory of pedagogy. Theory of teaching. Without having a theory of teaching, you know, so I don't need a theory of teaching, but simply by analyzing the way in which we encounter each other in this space, we can start to imagine different ways of teaching, understanding different ways of teaching. So that's why I'm saying I think it's sometimes uh, it's a sometimes very uh, it's it's sometimes easy to say it's just description. So as if description is not insightful, doesn't give you understanding, doesn't allow you to encounter and imagine different encounters. Because right? I, I mean, the imagine is very important. Imaginative variation. Rousseau talks about you know, how we can. You were just doing it. Imagining the, how the room might be otherwise. I mean, and therefore how the teaching practice could be otherwise. Could be otherwise. But you don't have to do it. You know, you have to say that's basically. I mean, I was thinking about this because you know, uh, someone who designs a room doesn't move all the furniture. They think about how they might move it. They don't physically. They might have the end of the They wouldn't be extremely tired. Uh, yeah, we have computer models. Yeah, you, we have computer you, models. you can play around with that. Yeah. But yeah. you still, one will feel like the other won't feel like That's not all about the end. Which might be the driving what you're describing, the, 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 the use of every square centimeter of space to maximize, you know, whatever it is. Uh, that isn't that's you know, that's a kind of black line there model of how human beings sit, but human beings don't sit in the way that the line ever likes. <laughs> Although the problem, you know, mode of theirs is, is, is interfering with what to me, it sounds almost like kind of moving into this um, how people we can approach this situation as a conference or workshop, is kind of or like discovering the theory of this situation, situation itself, yes. instead of coming with exactly, kind of yeah. ready-made template. Where kind of, I think it's quite nice of this because there seems to be this. Description you are talking about seems to be very particular right? and actually quite rigorous description. I think you were there in this harmony of the Latour, where also President Yaku made the same comment that actually Latourian description is quite uh, rigid and particular kind of description. It's, uh, and I think most to my Understanding of what somebody says is mere description would mean here that we will simply cut our observations without any bottles yeah. in the room. Yeah. That's the description, which is of course not interesting at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's the quote of the critique of doing mere description. Yeah. It's a sort of a subjectification. Well, that's the thing people say mere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you say rigorous description, I mean, what's your thought phenomenology with rigorous description? What people have to be trained in. And he's like, you have to train yourself to unlearn lots of assumptions and to that. And I mean, what you say about being a kind of discovery 
That's a very high degree, you know, that this idea that we're uncovering our own story. Scaling to the phenomenon itself, what in this case the phenomenon engaging in a in a, uh, some kind of a cellular seminar. Uh, it's, it, the complexity of that has to be reflected on. And, and so it's a reflective form of description. It's not, you know, some people think of it as just being naive description, but it can't be just naive because we have, well, we have to foreground the things that are in the background. I think that's what a lot of it is. Foregrounding the things that are in the background. Play of presence masks that you talked about. And, and, and it sounds weird, but you're doing it all the time. You do it all the time, but you don't systematize your fact that you're doing. You know, you do it at home when you move the desk around and think about the police making a deep all night. You know? Yes. Oh, sorry. I think we're all oh, sorry. Um, yeah. um,
you know, there are usually enough examples in the real world, you know, like you don't like a handshake thing. You know, there are different cultures and different ways of doing that, and even different things in different cultures. And, you know, that, you know, there are embraces and kisses and bear hugs and chronic noses. There are lots of different ways, but what you might, but the essence of the phenomenon is the one to one encounter where each person is acknowledging the other and recognizing the other. So we can quickly shift to a completely abstract discussion of what the supposed handshake exemplifies. And that's the move to the essence, you see what I mean? And, and, uh, and what, what are the necessary conditions that must make it possible? You know, uh, uh, for there to be that recognition, which might involve recognizing difference of, of Bring or level or stance as well. About Japan, how low they are on the rank of the person and so on. Uh, men shake hands differently. They shake women's hands differently in the way they shake men's hands. So there, there is a whole code for it, and secret handshakes and all this. You know, I'm just pre-varying now on the idea of handshakes, but, but that's what a philosopher or a philosopher would do in the privacy of their own armchair. They don't need to go out and do mass amount of empirical research. And in a way, uh, that's the good news. It's cheap. But often, you, what you're trying to get, what's your thought? You're trying to get to those, what any, you know, if you're a geometer, what any circle must have. You know, pi. It's just an integral part of every circle. So, so geometers discover this amazing feature of every circle that had ever possibly been thought of. And yet, and that's an extremely useful thing. It's not just a bad uh, relation. This relation has extraordinary applications. But nobody would have thought that but if you're geometry. But uh, so, so just thinking about what makes handshakes possible might lead you to a whole thinking about human engagement, which you know is incredibly rich. Um, well, uh, how phenomenology is used in science or subjectivity? They, uh, in the political science, they usually assume a uniformity of world and forget about the problem. But if you're talking about subjects, uh, it, uh, by necessity, peculiar, uh, and also forget about this peculiarity, there are no subjects anymore. But how would how the phenomenology deal with this issue of which you would put sometimes? Well, I, mean, I know there's very technical work done on uh, the logic of induction by philosophers of science, in which several of the early phenomenologists engaged very vigorously. At the time, especially in the 1930s, when sort of logical positivist tradition thought that knowledge, especially empirical knowledge, was gained through induction. I mean, you know, if you remember, Karl Popper reacts to that by pointing out that you, know, you could never mean, just by birth, collection of examples, you'd never get to the general theory where one counter example was enough to kill the theory. So Popper moved for falsification. And he was reacting against that particular model. What the monopolists never went with the original belief that you could go to, uh, uh, that induction leads you to the insight. This is where the single example could give you, you know, the, the 
reading the novel, seeing the play about you know, jealousy can give you an insight into jealousy. Uh, you just need, you know, it's, and it isn't just my jealousy and then your one is completely different. We have to think there's something called jealousy, or, you know, it may have many different modalities, but there is something called jealousy. I mean, this is, that's, this sort of cuts across, it's a bit like you say, cutting across the theory of practice, and cutting across, it cuts across the universal particular. You know, you, you see, if you like, the universal in the particular. And, and that's, I mean, that's what we do with individuals.
It, can, it does recognize there must be some, you know, if the cluster hangs together in the right way, you know, it becomes real poeticism. And uh, if it's phenomenologically, if that matches the phenomenological experience, then I think we're on something. If you're way off, then we can get to go again. So I, I'm not against essentialism, and I think it's actually driving a lot of science. I think that a lot of theorists, again, recently, don't like it. For usually grounds to do things like they think of it as a social thing that there's something called the Englishman or you know the Irish person or what a name is so essentialism is always bad in those grounds because they're kind of uh, stereotypes but, but you know the lessons of a stereotype are different. In my first term, it's a shortcut, right? If you essentialism is a shortcut, so you, you substitute these practices for a category. And then you take the category as the 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 essence, as sufficient to account for it, and that's the shortcut. So I would say, you know, it's fine if we talk about ME, but I want to know what are the practices that are implicated in taking some disease as ME. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's right. I think as a matter of fact, as we know, that I mean, this American psychiatric manual is the sort of governing practice there. Now, whether that ought to be the case is something. Question. Okay. Um, we, we, we're chewing into lunch, so we don't. Well, uh, the elite scientists are really dug up for a really short one, I don't know, but it's a sort of tangential um, question, but I'm sure that both of you can answer it, and it might be interesting given that you um, identified you've got different phenomenological positions. Um, Whenever I listen to, uh, or should I say, the idea of phenomenology has always appealed to me. So this kind of interplay between so-called opposite, particularly the idea that it uh, does conflict with emotions, which is just something that's featured in my research, has always appealed. And yet when I picked up something like being in time and tried to get into a Like uh, free human, 
project is you know this whole idea of the end of humanity, the end of man, as I said, the end of this notion of this construction of humanity as a free agent, and much more to emphasize the uh, the power the sort of anonymous power structures that are operating within the within the culture and within the the overall. Uh, social world taking this kind of system. So he, that, that kind of debate is really replicated today in, in the different sort of systems theorists and pathological people who want to emphasize objectivity. So Foucault thought himself deliberately as attacking phenomenology, he's really starting off. He was embracing that more general movement of structuralism, which was again trying to point out that the same of language use, it's not we are what we personally control that governs our language, but the anonymous grammatical and syntactical. So, was wrong, he perhaps was right, but I think that's right to emphasize that, Foucault, that, that, that these anonymous structures uh, that are underneath, like, why is it conscious? But on the other hand, he went, I think, to the opposite street, at least the early work, and he came back later on to emphasize, you know, the sense of, of self is huge in the later Foucault. The importance of our sense of ourselves. It's crucial. It's the same, actually, the same thing exactly happened with Marxism, which again went from being sort of humanist oriented towards sort of a structural thing and the, the resources of capitalism and all the rest of that. Uh, but came back to recognize, well, you know, as people feel alienated in some sense, or their, their experience is an alienated experience, then there's never going to be any desire to, 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 to recover it or to restructure So, you know, I, I would say that. Foucault, by the way, influenced Dreyfus strongly. But he was always a kind of marginal figure on the edge, mostly critical of phenomenology. But at the same time, his work can be seen as sort of uh, uh, adding a dimension to it. Because, I mean, uh, think about things like consciousness raising in general, or oh, any kind. It's, it's calling attention to some sort of let's say, power structure, that people weren't really paying attention to. Uh, you know, Foucault, just as well as phenomenologists, could point out the structure of the rule determines the kind of practice that's done in. He would emphasize the anonymity of that. Whereas the phenomenologist probably thinks, no, that came through another set of practices by architects and has driven by other interests. If you like. and, and Foucault was interested in but they're, they're sort of describing things slightly at odd angles, but it's really the same overall experience of the world that they're both interested in describing. I don't see the immensity of war. Not at all. I mean, the problem for me is, because I've studied Foucault and phenomenology, and, uh, I, I don't know actually anymore what Foucault really said and what phenomenology really said. I know what I think now after studying it, and for me they are very close. And in fact, I mean, the, for me, the, what Foucault brings is, is the fact that uh, he brings the house of power uh, and the importance of power, which uh, is, of course, not at all in logical accounts. I think it was criticized a lot for the fact that, in fact, this whole, whole phenomenology is a dynamic thing of, of me, of the self, of the, of the human, the singular human. Uh, I mean, it's got a better design, but, but mostly it's design. Uh, whereas Foucault, for me, brings in the account of power. But uh, for me, Foucault is, is also a transcendental uh, philosopher, in as much as for him, 
uh, what is important is the transcendental conditions, the conditions of possibility for something to account you know, as uh, as uh, discourse, as legitimate, for example, in discourse. How, how is it that we speak in a particular way? That speaking in a particular way is legitimate, but speaking in another way is not legitimate, and so forth. So, so I see them as very, you know, uh, uh, very akin. I, I, as, as indicated, I'm sort of not Rousseauian, so I move more, more to, to, to Heidegger and, and I'm very influenced by Derrida and Devinas, and the idea that uh, what is really important is not you know, what they call the metaphysics of presence. You know, what is present is not as important, I mean, it's important uh, as a starting point, but what is equally important is what is the conditions that are necessary for us to take what is present as present. And this is exactly what Foucault wanted to do. I mean, he wanted to give an account of power that is not just what you know the first order power. Power is false, but power as persuasion, power as etc. So he wanted to say what what makes power as false work is the transcendental conditions, also the things that make it possible for us to exercise force. How is it that we allow the king or the state to kill people? You know, why? Because you know, there's another system of power that is the conditions of possibility for state to give. And it's that which is really from his account of power. So you know, so I, I see them as you know very close, but this is maybe a heretic reading. I mean I am not in the in the, uh, in the history of ideas, so I probably do unjustice to the sort of Probably what I'd like is something that you've wrestled to read that might make me, uh, that might make it easier for me yeah. to latch on to phenomenology, given that the idea of it seems. Uh, I would say, right, because he's the one, I mean, given that you're starting from Foucault, he's interested in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, just what, what, what Lucas was saying there, I mean, in Foucault's analysis of things like the institutions of uh, um, madness, you know, the institutionalization of madness. You know, um, what's really interesting, and he is, it is a really interesting historical account of why they redeem certain kinds of behavior to be irrational and then to be illnesses or to be heathenous or to be you know, a criminal or whatever. And why we can't put. Um, he's always interested in the sort of processes, and, and yet there is a sort of phenomenological side to it. He plays that down, but, you know, the experience of um, the irrational. Side is a really important part of that story. The code doesn't tell. So I see them as sort of complementary rather than mutually exclusive. Can I suggest we finish up and then some of these issues that we discussed? This talk was recorded in person with a live audience on Thursday, June the 5th, 2008 in the UCD Lachlan Quinn Undergraduate School of Business, Belfield, Dublin, Ireland. The Triangular Quadrangular Conference is an occasional symposium hosted jointly by Lancaster University, University of Cambridge, the London School of Economics and University College Dublin. The conference was supported by the UCD School of Business Doctoral Studies Program and hosted by the UCD Centre for Innovation, Technology and Organisation. A note on the quality of this recording. The audio was recorded way back when on an Olympus WS-300M. 
The original MP3 file was of poor quality due to a noisy environment, proximity and range effects. This published version has had the following post-processing applied. Noise reduction, high and low filter effect, high pass filter, EQ and spectral editing. A vocal isolation track and an AI-generated studio-style track were overlaid with the original to restore clarity on low signal-to-noise passages. I hope you liked it. It took a lot of work to make it sound okay. In fact, it's still probably not great listening, but it's the only recording we have, so we hope uh, you enjoy it for what it is. The words and ideas from these two great scholars. Thank you for listening. Please follow and share if you liked this episode. The musical elements are from the Adagio in G minor, released under a CC BY 3.0 license. See the show notes or description for details.